0: Welcome to the podcast edition of maximum growth live the number one program for lawyers who want to grow their practices each week our hosts seth price and jay ruane Tackle the fundamental questions about how to grow the profit and profitability of your law firm. To watch the program live, submit your questions and hear the latest episode. Tune in every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern on Facebook for our live show. Maximum Growth Live is a production of Maximum Lawyer Media. Hello, hello, and welcome to another edition of Maximum Growth Live. I'm one of your hosts, Jay Ruane, CEO of FirmFlex, your social media marketing agency for lawyers, as well as managing partner of Ruane Attorneys, a civil rights and criminal defense firm in Connecticut. With me, as always, my buddy over there down in DC, moving and shaking Seth Price, owner, founder, uh, Grand Poobah of Price Benowitz, uh, along with David Benowitz, a phenomenal white collar lawyer all across this country, as well as the founder of Blue Shark Digital, your SEO for law firms. Seth, how's your week going this week?
1: It's going great. Uh, you know, Vegas is hot. AJ is is back in business, and uh, it's been uh, it's been quite quite a uh, quite a journey.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to hear from you next week uh, about all your takeaways from AAJ, because I think that's going to be good. But we actually have a guest today um, that uh, it comes to us via uh, a, a great legal marketing, the Ben Glass Institute. And, uh, I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to undersell this. Uh, but I also don't want to over, I mean, there's, there's some good stuff, uh, in prepping with Charlie, uh, that we're going to be talking about. So let's not waste any time. How about we get right to that? Uh, so we can, um, we can make sure that we give him enough time, uh, to talk about all the wonderful things. What's your thoughts? Sounds great. Let's do it. Okay. All right, folks, give us two seconds. We'll be right back. You'll hear from our sponsors and we come back. We'll be back with the Maximum Growth Live interview. Charlie Mann from Great Legal Marketing.
2: The lawyers who will succeed in the next decade are the ones who are focusing on building their brands where people meet. And there is no place better to build your brand than on social media. With the FirmFlex DIY Social Media Plan, hundreds of lawyers like you are using social media to build their brand and become the one lawyer in their community that people know, like and trust. By spending even just five minutes a day on social media marketing, you can engage with hundreds or thousands of people in your local community who will need your services. By cultivating a network of followers, you build a book of business that you can market to the next decade and beyond. If you are looking for a solution to help you jumpstart your social media marketing, look no further than the DIY plan at GetFirmFlex.com. The DIY was created by a small firm lawyer for people just like you, helping you connect with local people online and build your brand and engage people in the topics they want to talk about, all for under $100 a month. To find out more, visit GetFirmFlex.com. In this world today, if you want to grow your business, you want to grow your firm, you want to take on more cases and make a bigger impact, you have to have a digital blueprint. Statistically, throughout the time that we've been working with Blue Shark Digital, our law firm, the Atlanta Divorce Law Group, grew over 1,400%.
0: Seth and his team have years of experience in this area. Blue Shark is truly a part of the firm, so I don't consider Blue Shark any different than the employees in my office.
1: We're thrilled to have Charlie Mann, president and lead coach for Great Legal Marketing. Welcome, Charlie.
3: Thank you so much, Seth, Jay. It's great to be here, talk with you guys. You know, I've I've sort of known both of you from a distance. Jay, just getting a chance to meet you. Seth, you and I have had a chance to meet and greet and dine together. But I'm excited to sort of talk shop with you all from each of our independent perspectives of being in law firms and working on law firms.
1: Well, that's, that's what I want to ask you about. I mean, it's funny, we, we uh, as the crow flies, we're about 15 minutes apart, but uh, two, two different worlds. And you spent the better part of a decade plus working with coaching, developing lawyers uh, on a, a myriad of different issues. What are some of the biggest sort of takeaways or biggest uh, things that you've seen lawyers you know, struggle with that, that, you, that you work, you've worked with over the years?
3: Yeah, so, yeah, 11 years now of, I like to say, working in, on, for, and with law firms. You know, I worked inside of Ben Glass's law firm, starting out answering the phones and producing little videos and writing blogs for him. And over the years, turning that into you know a robust coaching ecosystem that Ben had already started through great legal marketing. And it's interesting. Some of the problems that we were solving for, I mean, Ben first started it 15 years ago when I came on board about 11 years ago. still the same problems that we're solving for today. And a lot of it stems from, I know you guys have experienced this, uh, but you have managed to course correct, which is a lack of the business education early on in law firms. And really one of the core issues I've seen, and this is like root psychological issue almost, is when you come out of law school, you have been produced not just as a lawyer, but to actually be the product you are selling. This is one of the true differentiators between a good and a service, right? Is a good, I can go and build a whole bunch of leather wallets. So I do leather working, so I like to use leather as an example. I can manufacture a bunch of leather wallets, establish brand margin marketing, you know, kind of build a system for all of that. And I can fully step away from it early on. I can just go, if I wanted to, I could take someone else's leather goods and sell them. But as a lawyer, you come out of law school and you are the product, you are the service. And early on a law firm gets built, based on the amount of time that you put working on the service side of everything, as opposed to early on trying to decouple time and money. That's the biggest challenge is how do we, how do we get the attorney away from that link of if you spend 40 hours a week working in the firm to use the Michael Gerber parlance, working in the firm, how much money are you going to make? That's going to be your locked in potential life making you know money capacity as opposed to well what if you spent 20 hours doing the service and then 20 hours building the business and that's just not taught because it's designed as a widget right even though you're coming out as a full-fledged individual with these incredible rhetorical capacities and everything these thinking capacities you still are being launched into the world with go work for someone else they'll bring in clients you do the legal work right
1: and you know Look, this whole our our podcast, our lives, your 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 coaching, all those things are, are working in that direction, right? We had Gerber on and that's the the you know, the ultimate, like you actually are McDonaldizing, and as we know that that's not an easy process. We we know it for ourselves. We even saw it discussing with Michael the uh, the friction between e everything and what allows you to keep your bar license and not, and not go to jail. So what you know what are some of the tricks or hacks or not you know that tricks, but what are some of the steps I should say that you see effective in allowing people to balance that working on a business or taking the steps towards that as opposed to just being a practitioner.
3: So great question. You know, the, Usually what we want to find is a, a first little win, a first, and by the way, this is just as true if I'm working with a firm that's doing $300,000 a year in revenue or $3 million a year. It's just it's just a different scale, maybe a slightly different problem. Like a person who's down at $300,000 a year in revenue, can I quickly introduce to them what life is like if they're not personally answering every single phone call or doing every single intake? Can I remove them from that necessity which they often believe that necessity of answering the phone and put someone into their lives get them to hire someone who will take care of the phones entirely and all of a sudden they go whoa now i can just like focus on driving more calls to the law firm because i don't, th- think about the natural human behavior if you're the one answering the phones all the time doing all of the intakes if i go to you and say i want you to get double the number of calls to your firm, you're going to go, nope, nope, don't want to spend my time doing that. I'm on the phone enough. That sounds super stressful. But if I solve the first problem, say, here's the best news. We're going to drive double the number of calls and you're not going to touch any of them. Now we enter into that business building territory. If I can get them to take that first, we'll call it a leap of faith. I I call it a leap of faith, but I call it a leap of faith in the way that Indy takes a leap of faith in, uh, in the last crusade where, you know, he's stepping out for that leap of faith moment, but there's actually the rock bridge right there; it's just hidden because of the design of the rocks. And so we know that there's firm footing for them. I know that if they hire that intake specialist, they will make more money. Now at the $3 million firm, it might be, Hey, here's what happens if you work with some other service providers, and you start managing some service providers, maybe it's a it's a blue shark, right? So Seth's company, go work with Seth's company. And instead of you being the one who has to be the rainmaker all the time, why don't you give away some of the rainmaking responsibilities and focus on developing the operational capacity in your firm to take on the next million dollars of clients? Maybe hire an operations manager to help you with that. Maybe spend more time coaching your team on handling high value cases so you don't trap yourself in the, I'm the only one who can handle my high value cases spot. So that's like a long answer to a good and simple question, but that's kind of what I do.
1: Right. And one of the things, and like we talk, we banter back and forth and much of what you're talking about resonates with me and Jay's Mr. Systems. And, you know, you'd see him thinking that way. But one of the things we talk about is, you know, that's easy to say, and you know, it's the right answer that somebody has to get to. But at least in my experience, and I've crowdsourced, I can't tell you i have a scientific study. I should get a case study on this. Generally, when you go to hire to an area you've never hired before, it's not like you go out to like you know you go to Costco and you find that that intake coordinator who's going to like step into the shoes and do better than you. You're going to like a you know the first person you hire probably won't work out. The second won't. It may take you to three before you figure that out, right? I mean, we don't want you can't wake up in the morning knowing that, but like. in in reality that's there how do you knowing that there are so you know especially if you get somebody who's coming without that business acumen you know what steps need to be taken right if you don't have an intake team you can't go on with your life although day one whoever you hire without the systems that jay would put in place and without the coaching that you have that you're you're not really at a place where you you know you're gonna lose a client or two when it's not done as well as you could do it yourself now some people are really bad at it and you're better off outsourcing it but for many people when they're that one man band they have it down it's and there's that balance because it's two steps forward one step back where you know you need to do it but as you just said walking off you know walking off the cliff or whatever analogy you wish to use it it, it is daunting because it's not a straight line, like you do this, this is gonna get you more revenue. It's But if you don't start
3: down that path, you can never get beyond yourself. So one of the tools that, and this kind of comes from so many years observing the inside of law firms. Uh, one of the tools that I've developed is a way to do a quick law firm health check. Because one of the ways that I, I can help a law firm owner is for them to better understand kind of their place in the in the rankings chart of running the business, um, are they doing it efficiently? Right? How much risk are is available for them to take? So what I started studying was both inside the the legal world and outside of it was revenue per employee and how can we use that metric to help drive growth of a firm and not be so afraid of hiring people or firing people as well. So. Uh, this revenue per employee metric so and i'll I'll give the example of what it is from zero to five hundred thousand dollars so from zero to half a million dollars in revenue in my experience and the data that i've tracked a law firm should do about a hundred thousand dollars in revenue per employee this is exclusive of what we would call a super profit firm which is you know like one of our friends bob battle in virginia who does on the higher end towards that half a million dollars and runs a true solo shop. You can get there, but for most healthy law firms, you're gonna do about $100,000 per employee up to that first half million dollars. From half a million to about $3 million, you'll do in the range of $150,000 per employee. And by using this type of health metric, and by the way, there's a stretch of of $25,000 on either end that's dependent on growth. So let's say you're a million dollar firm and you're doing just about $125,000 per employee, so you've got you know eight people on board. My expectation is if you're at the lower end of that, that you are going to that you are in growth mode. You're actually anticipating next year you're going to be doing 1.2 million. You're staffed up to be able to do that, right? Uh, or on the other hand, if you're up at $175,000 per employee, you've only got say six people on board at the million dollar mark, and you're wondering why does it feel like I can't push any higher? it's probably because you need someone to fulfill the legal service or someone to generate the next sets of leads for people to operate on within the law firm, if we're talking marketing and operations departments. So by using a metric like that, we can be less afraid of, oh, I'm going to have to turn over this intake specialist space because I start seeing I am at the place where it is appropriate for me to have three employees. And by the way, you as the owner are counted in this count, right? Which means that the journey to your first About hundred to hundred and twenty five thousand dollars is usually owner only firm and then we start needing people past that but that way again it provides confidence because you have a better sense of how do you stack up and i truly see jay and seth part of my responsibility in coaching law firms is to shine light where light hasn't previously been shown and you guys are doing that as well you know jay with the systems that you talk about undoubtedly you know, you have your big stack of systems for folks there's going to be systems that they never even thought about because they were kind of afraid to ask someone you know should i do something about this particular part of my practice about the handoff between my pre-lit and litigation department because they're afraid to ask other members of the community because they don't want to seem like they don't have a system but jay you're already telling people you're supposed to have a system for things like that so our job is to shine that light for folks and i'm doing it through that revenue per employee metric
0: Jay. Yeah, you know, I love that revenue per employee because it really sort of breaks it down very simply to allow people to, to make that sort of critical analysis. Um, one of the things that I have found in this community uh, and, and I'm I'm wondering, since you have a large community of sort of entrepreneurial-based lawyers, these are lawyers that um, <clears throat> have gotten sort of the bug, right? They've been bitten by the bug. I can scale. I can grow. I really enjoy this type of things. We see a lot of them saying in the forums, you know, I want to get to a point where I'm out of the business so I can work on the things that I like, which is marketing, right? <clears throat> Why do you think so many entrepreneurial lawyers are drawn to Doing the marketing of their firm when they went to law school to be able to actually accomplish the the, 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 the law part of the firm. Uh, but once they once they start to see the scale, everyone always says, "I just want to do the marketing. I don't want to do anything else." Uh, and you know, I, I mean, I'm talking. I've heard this from 500 people. Now, I have uh, you know, I always counter. I'm saying, "So do you know about uh, you know Do you know about drip campaigns? Do you know how to set up a paper click campaign?" I'm like, "No, I just hire somebody to do that." Right. You know, but but so so they want to do the marketing, but they don't actually want to learn anything about it. But why do you think the marketing draws so many people into it rather than saying, I'm going to focus on the finances of my firm and I'm going to know everything about the finances? Uh,
3: I love that question so much. And I feel like there's such deep psychology we could go into ranging from. They became a lawyer because they were told from the age of seven that they were going to become either a lawyer or a doctor, and now they've gotten here and they're going. I don't think I really wanted to be a lawyer, but let, let's set that subset aside for a moment and focus on the ones who, yeah, you know, they they made the choice to go to law school. Being a lawyer sounded cool. Um, it sounded interesting. Obviously, potentially civic-minded, etc. And let's also be honest: the paycheck at the end of the road sounded really good without having to go through, you know, 12 years of medical school, residency, et cetera. So the reason I think that they gravitate towards marketing is because there's always some new fun thing available. There's always fun in marketing. There's always this opportunity to be the next viral YouTube star or to have your Instagram, have 20,000 followers and be an influencer of sorts. Or the drip campaigns, right? To look at the cool way that you can assemble this campaign that has a reactive uh, measure where when people click this link, they're put over into this. Like, this is all so cool and interesting. And we are naturally, as human beings, attracted to something that is new. And look, lawyers, you're good at figuring things out and being presented with a new and novel challenge of figuring out marketing is innately exciting. I absolutely get it. Now it's funny, having been doing marketing for as long as I've been doing it now, I have team members who now handle it for me because I don't want to be involved in the tiny little machinations of marketing. Let me, do, let
1: me go ahead say, and say like Jay was saying that, I'm not sure, where's where this exciting marketing thing?
3: Like,
0: you know, everybody's trying to- you See, know, I still love it. Greater. I, I, you know, I, I love it. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm going to start trying to
3: do this shit. Building world. I, you know, I still love it. Like, let's be point blank here. And if you put me in like a little hole with a laptop, all i would be doing is like copywriting and assembling these campaigns and constructing automated marketing systems and sales letters and all that stuff for sure. But. When I think about what my focal point is in terms of what do I I want to accomplish in life, which has very much to do with myself and my family, and I look at, okay, I can spend a ton of time doing new and novel marketing things, or I can take the systems that have been constructed and hand them off to someone else to make them better, to maybe put more leads into them, whether it's an internal resource or an external resource, and hand that off to someone else, because I'm actually going to focus on now building out the operations side. So people couldn't see the conversation that you and I were having right before this, Jay. So let's just bring them into it, which is in you have kind of three pieces within the firm or within any business argument. You have your marketing sales, you have your operations, and you have your finance. And I, I was saying the job of each one is to make trouble for the next. So marketing should bring in so many new clients that operations is a problem that needs to be solved. So we focus on solving that and operations should do a great job of bringing, of actually working on those. So that way, now we have the financial metrics that have to be solved for it, to create efficiencies in operations and reinvest in marketing. And every single piece of this is causing problems for the other. Good businesses that are growing are just constantly creating problems for each one of these spheres. And if you find yourself with everything running smoothly, you know, there's this thing called the red queen hypothesis, which in nature says that if you're not evolving, you actually are going to die out. You have to be moving constantly forward because everyone else is getting better. So if you sit on this and think like, "Ah, I've got it all figured out, everything's smooth. You don't know it yet, but you're actually dying out. And that's why the job of a business owner to solve these problems, does last forever, but you can bring in people to help you out with it, right? You can bring in an operations manager. You can find outside and inside marketing help. You can have a good financial team who provides you with the select number of metrics that allows you to make smarter decisions. And that's that's why we elevate the businesses.
1: Well, that's what you essentially you describe what I describe as whack a mole. You know, as soon as you <laughs> you solve one problem, that's, that that that's sort of my as a managing partner. That's that's the the life, and you know, yes. you're you know, I, and I think that. You know, the, the metrics you talked about uh, a moment ago, uh, as far as uh, money per employee or revenue per employee sort of is telling because that's a question we get a ton. Like, when do you make that next hire? And, you know, a lot of again, to be myself. I wish I had more metrics like that because a lot of it went on gut. And some of it is, as you, and you alluded to this, you don't always have the revenue, but you see it like realistic as an on ramp. And that's the scary part. And i think that one of the things that we that we talk a lot about is not looking at it jj Jay, Jay was talking the other day about possibly bringing on a, a videographer to produce content right awesome idea if you look at that as an annualized number with benefits and you know space etc it's a pretty daunting number but if you say okay i'm gonna look at this as a four month or you know a, a one quarter project all of a sudden you're like okay that's there and you'll then have it, you know, again, you have to be managing, you have to be playing that whack-a-mole. And if you're not, if the revenue isn't there to support it, you got to, you got to be careful. But if you look at these things incrementally, it seems that, a because otherwise there's never a moment where you're like, okay, I have an extra, in Jay's case, $70,000 to put towards it. That's a large nut. At the same time, you know, if you could get through three or four months of content and have proof of concept of what you're building, uh, you know, that, that's, much easier to get to from day to day.
0: You know, that's, you know, that brings up a really good point. And I'm, and I'm curious, Charlie, about your, your input on this, having been in firms and helping firms through it. So many lawyers and so many business owners think that every hire is a lifetime hire. And and that's something that, you know, <laughs> we, you know because, because it's our firm, right? So I know I'm going to be working at Ruane Attorneys until I am done. So I'm thinking 20, 30, 40 years I'm going to be here. Seth price Benowitz, 20, 30, 40 more years going to be there. But but I think for a lot of people out there, they have to realize that you could hire somebody who's only going to be with you for six months, and that's okay. Um, And and, so, you know, well, I mean, but that
1: uh, – but, but it's not. But look, that like there's a there's a happy medium because if it is six months and you're constantly training, the thing I see with young attorneys, uh, I'm going to pivot the question. I want to sort of combine this into one question, which is looking at associates, right? People, all oh, there's turnover. Any firm, if you look at the difference, this is the thing I've sort of putting some some thought into recently. Any attorney, zero to three years versus three or more, and the you know and that piece because if you're bringing somebody in, and yes, Jay, they are that six month. You're figuring out if they're any good for you, vice versa. If it's a year and you, you know, they're going to be so marketable that you won't be able to retain them. Great, but if you have, if there's a distinction between bring somebody on who's more senior, who you think is moving into the machine. Would love to try your thoughts on how you do differentiate between yes, this 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 might only be six months versus how do I build something sustainable long term?
3: So, great balance of questions here because it is. Like well, we well don't well plan yet. for having a six month hire, but we have to accept the reality that it may only be a six month hire. So, you know, I, when I get on calls and so I have some private clients who are doing multi million dollars in the firms, I have some who are just under, you know, half a million dollars. And they come from two sides of this spectrum here in terms of what's their risk tolerance on an employee. So the, the guy or gal who's running a firm at say three hundred and eighty thousand dollars a year in revenue, when they're hiring. What tends to prevent them from hiring is thinking about that annual nut, right? When I can reframe it and say, look, our hope is we have, if we're doing our work well on this, we know why we are hiring this individual, because it fills an important gap for us that will ultimately generate new revenue, either because they are a revenue generator, or they free you up to generate new clients. If we're doing this in a smart way, and this is why hiring you don't go out into the world and you sort of, you never just look around and say, eh, it might be good if I had another paralegal. Why? Why the paralegal? Just tell me why the paralegal. You might be right, but tell me why the paralegal. Don't just jump to conclusions here. That drives me crazy, right? You can hear in the tone of voice and the eyes popping out of my head, that drives me crazy. So when we're about to hire and they're thinking to themselves, okay, I'm gonna hire a paralegal. We're gonna pay the paralegal, let's say $45,000 a year. And they go, oh, that's, that's over 10% of, of my firm just write to that individual. and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't think of it as $45,000. It's less than $4,000 a month. Because if this doesn't work out, you are the owner. And we don't want to make the decision of having to let someone go potentially after six months because it doesn't work out. But you enter into this not saying it's $45,000. It's I have work that needs to be done in the next 90 days. Would I be willing to trade, say, $12,000 to have that important critical work done because they'll actually be working on say $36 to $50,000 worth of client work. Would you make that trade? Would you trade $12,000 for $36,000? I sure hope so. I mean, that's the common business trade that triple of of salary that you're paying. Now on the flip side, you know, we don't when you've got say a larger firm, we do think about making longer bets. People. And actually, one of the fundamental differences in hiring between a six-figure firm and a seven-figure firm. So six-figure firms, we call it for us, that's our hero level. Seven-figure firms that's what we call our icon level. So the difference, one of the differences we've observed between a hero firm and an icon firm is at the hero level, you're often hiring more generalists. You're hiring people who, okay, they're gonna answer phones for you and they're gonna file some documents with the court. And they might be doing some correspondence with clients in an ongoing basis, right? They're doing a few things, maybe even a little bit of marketing for you. And and they're putting the paper in the copier. They're, they're also ordering snacks. They're, they're, they're covering more ground. And as you build your six-figure firm towards seven figures, you tend to onboard several generalists. Now, when you're in the seven-figure world, actually, I'm gonna talk about videographer in just a second here, Jay. When you're in the seven-figure world, you start hiring specialists and you start making bets on specialized employees. And I'll use great legal marketing as an example. So we're a seven figure business and we decided core to our business is video production. We do a lot of training courses. We need to film events. We do live webinars. We have a YouTube channel, social media content, et cetera. If this business were in the mid six figures, I'm not gonna go out and hire a full-time videographer just for that. I'm going to figure out a way to have a marketing assistant who handles my video. But we're in the position of, we're getting ourselves a full-time videographer because it represents a leverage point in the practice. When I think about, say, an estate planning firm, I work with a lot of estate planning firms who are around the million dollars currently cracking into the seven figures and a couple multiples of that. For a lot of them, One of the leverage points they can create is getting out of signing meetings, right? Get out of signing meetings and get out of drafting documents. And you can hire, because if you're that size, you probably have enough signing meetings that you can hire a paralegal who can specialize in handling those signing meetings for you. And they'll review the documents before the signing meeting, they'll do everything, but they focus on those signing meetings. Same way in a PI firm, you can have a legal assistant who specializes in requesting and getting medical records, because that's a leverage point And we all know how difficult that can be. And if I can have someone who focuses on that, when I'm at that seven figure level, that's going to crack open the next opportunity for me. And that, that's a fundamental hiring difference between those spaces.
1: You know, it's really, it brings back memories. And I, I think you, you, as you're saying this, the six, seven, eight figure concepts, um, you know, it brings back, we had a early staffer. And she didn't answer the phones because we very early had a separate person for intake. First me and a cell and then an intake person now, a 12-person team. But when this woman left, because she was doing reception, accounting, paralegal, you know, just about everything but intake and, and marketing. When she left, the person we replaced her with got fired within weeks. Next and the idea was we had been we were now at the point where that job was four jobs. We were, you know, we didn't acknowledge that we were getting a deal paying her x when we really needed four people or you know and she turned out to be a superhero how do you deal with that because i've seen this over and over again that what you sometimes get lucky you scale with somebody who both is maybe exceptional and may um also know has sort of been grown by you when those people rotate out she went to law school how do you end up repl- how do you have that realistic conversation that you are now, let's say you've gone from six to seven figures, these are now multiple jobs and it's not, you can't just you know throw fairy dust and get that person cloned.
3: One of the, the core examples is, I'm going to use the title of office manager because that's the most common position title that kind of lands in this. They got hired when this firm was doing $300,000, it was you and the office manager, right? And now all of a sudden we're a million dollars past that we're at 1.3 million dollars but that person holds so many keys to the kingdom that they're stretched exceedingly thin which may be one of the reasons they're thinking like i need to go find another opportunity whether it's law school or i want to narrow down my role in another business and that person ultimately decides to depart so the first thing we have to focus on is there are probably, let's let's run with the four core responsibilities of that individual. I can just about guarantee one of those responsibilities can be handled very comfortably by, a, by an outsource provider. The most common one with office manager is the bookkeeping responsibility, right? Great, outsource bookkeeping, doesn't have to be done in house, let's leverage an outside provider. Now we're down to three core responsibilities. Two of those responsibilities are probably going to naturally go together, right? It might be that they really represent, I need a paralegal for these two responsibilities because it was corresponding with uh, opposing counsel or filing briefs, motions, you know, so it was legal work in two separate categories. And then the last one was intake that they were doing. That's, that's a common lineup of four responsibilities, but I've narrowed it down to where I really need two employees. This legal work, since it's two responsibilities, I know I really need to replace this person with a paralegal. For the intake, temporarily, I may go to, again, an outside provider such as a vendor or a specialized virtual assistant who will handle my intake until that sphere grows just enough. Maybe I need to have the next you know, $4,000 per month in revenue to be ready for it, and then I'm going to hire that person in-house. And so if we break it down to its key components and we accept one of these can be taken away from uh, away from the office, by the way, the bookkeeping, Maybe that's taken away from the office until you're at $4 million a year in revenue, right? Maybe five. This other one, temporary patch with an outside person and then full-time hire because this is a core part of my practice. Same with videographer, we realized was core to great legal marketing, the way that Ben Glass Law recognized medical records requests are core to the business. We don't want someone doing medical records requests and we want them just doing medical records. So that's how I would break that down. I will say I wish that I could go to every single law firm owner back when they had that first employee who's going to be with them for the first 13, 17 years of the practice and had them have an upfront conversation with that individual saying, hey, we're going to grow. now. as we grow, I'm going to add new things to your plate, but there's going to come a time where we actually need to reverse that course, we need to reverse you back into really focusing on just a couple of things. So let's, during our every six months reviews, let's keep an open dialogue about the best use of your time. Because I have seen more acrimonious firings, leavings of practice, et cetera, because of that problem than almost any other in a law firm.
1: Jay, you got a final question. I'm smiling yeah. just before you go because I literally am having a second bite at this with Blue Shark, our, you know, unicorn that's doing everything, having to sort of literally take stuff off their plate so they can survive. So I'm smiling as I, like you, it, it is it is such a truism that it's like you know every at this
0: stage of your business you're going to have that issue. But Jay, uh, you yeah, got it, the last it, word. It, it's funny because we talked about how uh, the state changed their laws, and my. Pardons practice is going to disappear in eighteen months. The paralegal that runs that department called me up crying and was like, "What am I going to do here in the firm? This is what I do." I'm like, "But Krista, you were with me twenty years ago. You've done intake. You've done PI. You've done you know you've done everything in the firm. We'll, we'll, we'll have work for you to do. You're not going anywhere. You're not going anywhere. <laughs> um, you know, but Charlie, one question for you and somebody who's coaching. And this is something that I think." Uh, might, might be important for people to understand. Um, a lot of people, has he- a lot of lawyers I see hesitate to create the systems they need to move their business forward, to move their practice forward, because they say, well, look, it only takes me five minutes to do it. I do it three times a year, and it would take me three hours to document this system, and I don't have the time to build out this system for everybody. I could just do it. It'll take five minutes. How do you get somebody over that hurdle of saying, no, 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 wait, take a step back, spend that three hours now and you never have to touch it again when they're like, "It's just five minutes. I can do it, you know, I can do it, you know, with, without without thinking. Um, how do you, how do you get somebody to sort of get over that hurdle, uh, which is what they need to get their business to move?
3: So the first that and it's so funny, back in November, I onboarded, uh, November 2020, I onboarded a new private client, and this was the exact discussion that we were having, was th- this mathematical model. What I said to this particular private client is, I said, okay, the first thing you need is you just need to have your system for creating a system. It's the first thing you need in place, because if you uh, don't have it's that- it's just like, This is Jay's
1: fantasy. I mean, is that- it's
3: like, this is like Jay porn.
0: I actually have a speech, a system for building systems.
3: Perfect. We're well aligned here, Jay. Uh, But truly, that was the first thing we needed, was a system for constructing a system. And Then when you have that and you can teach that first system to your internal team, you can now hand off part of creating the systems to them because they know What a system is supposed to look like it's supposed to be steps one two three if it is a software piece we document it in loom so that way people can look at how it is practically done and oh by the way we also have a policy to review our loom library every six months or one year to see if any of our software has been updated and a new video needs to be created so now we have a system for managing the systems and then there's a great book and maybe you've read it jay uh, systemology by david jennings and he talks about this idea of having a systems champion, someone in the business or the practice who is the, the overseer of the system. So I don't know if you've read the or watched the movie, uh, The Watchman, famously a comic uh, previously, but there's the question asked, in it, who watches The Watchman, right? And in this case, it's what's the system for overseeing the system? And then who's doing that? Who's doing that one part of it? overseeing the usage of systems, enforcing it. This is obviously far more difficult if you're running a $400,000 practice, a $700,000 practice, than if I'm giving this same speech to, you know, the $2 million or $8 million practice. Because they're like, yeah, I can bring in an operations manager, great. But if you're trying to get it off the ground, the other thing to consider is starting from the perspective of, and I, I like to talk uh, about systems and then below systems are processes. So, and this is just our parlance, right? So in our case, a system might be the talent acquisition system. And the talent acquisition system lays out how we proceed step-by-step step from an overview philosophical perspective of hiring someone. Okay, first thing we need to do is accurate determination of the position. Second thing we need to do is accurately describing the core responsibilities, write the job at that, and it goes down through there. Then within each of those, we can add processes. But I would start from the system area of, okay, like hiring, hiring a person. Do we have at least enough information to say, I need to figure out the right position to hire, the right type of person for that position, write the job ad, run the job ad, interview round one round two round three personality tests hiring decision or and let's never forget this press restart from the very beginning once i have that now i can go into the you know run the job ad thing which may say pull template a if it's a support position pull template b if it's a lawyer position associate or senior attorney etc and i can get really granular with it but i would start with do you even have a basic framework For what to do. If I put that problem of you need to hire a blank in front of you, do you have a methodology for doing it? Once you grasp that, now we can add all the little processes into it. And mathematically, especially with a bigger practice or even a small practice. If it is like I do it three times a year, it takes me five minutes. It's going to take me three hours to document. Okay. You say that at half a million dollars now, you've told me your goal is $5 million a year in revenue. So what's the actual cost? Eventually the actual cost on that going to be 10 times what you're talking about. And it's every single year. Get it done now.
0: Life will be easier. I love it. I love it, Charlie. You are preaching to the choir here, man. This is, this is, this is, this is the stuff that I love. And I hope the audience is out there picking up on this that that there are ways to move yourself forward but um, you know the ways to move yourself forward, I, I you know I, I know you referenced the watchman i referenced the mandalorian here in my office because we're a bunch of star wars nerds. this is the way this is the way this is the way that we do things and we do it this way because this is who we are as people uh and i think it's uh, i think it's a wonderful way to approach said anything else you need to add this, oh, this is phenomenal. great I, can't. I don't want to ruin the moment yeah, this is great. Charlie, thanks so much for being with us. Uh, you know, tell us a little bit about how people Thank you, can get Dad. in touch with you.
3: Yeah, so the best way to to get in touch with me, uh, you know, if you're interested in one of the coaching programs at Great Legal Marketing, you can reach out to me via email, Charlie, C-H-A-R-L-E-Y, at greatlegalmarketing.com. You know, just let, let me know that you, you heard about me on this podcast and we'll arrange a time to talk or go to greatlegalmarketing.com. We have a lot of free resources you can start with in this journey. So if you're a smaller practice and you're thinking, ah, I'm, I, I need to get my feet wet a little bit, that's a great place to, to go as well. Uh, Jay and Seth, thank you guys for having me on. I always love talking shop in this way with uh, people who have you know multiple businesses that you're working in. So we
0: kind of have all seen multiple examples, which is interesting. Yeah, it's really been fascinating. Thanks so much, Charlie. And folks, we'll be right back with more Maximum Growth Live. Cool, we're out.
2: Awesome. Hey, it's Becca here. I'm sure you've heard Jim and Tyson mention the Guild on the podcast and in the Facebook group. The Guild is this perfect mix of a community, group coaching, and a mastermind. Guild members get so many benefits, including weekly live events and discounts to all Maximum Lawyer events. Head over to MaximumLawyer.com forward slash the Guild to check out all the benefits and watch a few testimonials from current members. So head to MaximumLawyer.com and click on the Guild page to join us. Now, let's get back to the episode.
0: Well, Seth, I mean, music to my ears. I mean, it's it, it, you know, it, I love talking systems. I love talking these types of things. And, you know, it's interesting to me and talking to Charlie and thinking about my practice, thinking about FirmFlex, how I grew it after I grew Related Attorneys, thinking about my latest venture, Finalize, which we're going to be talking about in the days to come. Uh, you know, you could really grow you know, and you're going to make mistakes every time you launch a business. And I think a lot of our audience needs to recognize that I've made mistakes set. You've made mistakes. We've made monumental mistakes, I guess. But what we do is get back up and keep going forward. Right. And that's what, and that's what one of the takeaways I think people should have uh, today.
1: Yeah. And look, the thing that, uh, you know, watching the two of you guys go back and forth towards the end, you know, what, you know, when, the idea of having a system to create systems starts to hurt, but I know is right. And it's, it's one of those things like when, figuring out when you do it, because I always talk about negotiations. You ever like you have a deal with somebody, you're trying to do a business deal, and you could spend your whole time negotiating an actual deal, which is the right way to do it. But you may never actually get anywhere or do anything if you spend all of your time versus having a handshake. Now, you know I've even talked about it. I've been burnt by plenty of people I've had handshake deals with, but I still keep going forward because I can't build and create. Looking at the systems by analogy, you know, there are times where if everything gets documented, would it slow somebody down? And that's what I personally struggle with. And I love the idea that there's a default, so you don't have to think about it. Because if 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 there is a system to create the systems, it's more likely to happen as opposed to waiting for something to take place. Figuring out that it actually is a, it is systematizable and then putting it in place. Um, love that part of the conversation because it inspired me
0: to sort of go back
1: and figure out what
0: can I do to close that loop. Yeah, you know, I, I, a couple of weeks ago I took a vacation uh, and part of the p- process of taking the vacation was to disconnect. Uh, and so when, you know, like you said, whack-a-mole or I call it when fires happen and someone needs to put out the fire, you know, we can develop systems to putting out those fires. We can, you know, develop well, systems. And I don't to think there are fires.
1: That's, that's the thing, the fire is a negative analogy versus the whack-a-mole where you know something is popping up. That's the whole point of the game. So right. it's, I mean, there are fires, don't get me wrong, but part of it is, and what, what I think you Charles do a great job of describing is, if you do it right and you get the marketing right, well, you better get the staff to support that work. And if you get the staff to support that work, you better have the finance people to take care of the economics of it. And so it's not like a fire, it can become become a fire, but it is a known issue of success. And if you don't sort of constantly look at where, if you sort of like a balloon, if you push a balloon on one side, the air sort of pops to the other side, as you start playing with your business and pushing resources in one direction, it's going to have ramifications in a positive way, forget about the negative,
0: that needs to be handled. You know, it's interesting, um, with with COVID, you know, we, we we lost some support staff and we've added some support staff. We've gone overseas. Uh, and one of the things that's interesting to me is, we did a lot of content during COVID. Uh, we, we utilized some of the lawyers to create some content. We, we our marketing coordinator, really sort of knocked it out of the park and, and, and did a lot when it comes to marketing. And we're seeing a return on that work because the phones are blowing up and we lost a, uh, we lost a, uh, receptionist. Uh, so we went from having two receptionists down to one and I had a conversation with the intake team and they said, you need to hire two. We need to have three people on phones, um, rather than just two, uh, which is, which is something that we need to recruit for. And and now, but it, it opened up a dialogue. Uh, and i think that it's moving our business forward i didn't recognize because i'm not seeing it daily um uh, the volume we are now getting oh, well, it
1: intake's a great example and again we could do a whole show get falco back and we can talk like, like let's do that. that 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 is a great point which is we come out of you see and you see it at restaurants you see restaurants that are closed because they can't get staff right now hotels where check-ins take longer because they let people go and they can't get it back fast enough and I think it's no different for law firms particularly like the ones that are in criminal defense where like people weren't going out now they're going out the arrests are back your marketing is in good shape and okay you have an intake team of x Will you really need x plus one or two and knowing right. when that is because there's a combination again if you have systems in place you might have some better metrics uh, it is really tough because during covid i was always told they were busy but there was no revenue coming from it there were people calling spinning wheels but now that we're back to sort of the more normal widget how do you know when you need an extra person how do you do it because if you don't you're going to lose money the other way where calls aren't being answered and we saw that we saw you know yeah. certain short trades were down because we weren't getting to them as quickly so
0: yeah, just some great stuff here. I mean, I you know, and we've talked about this and and our other shows and offline, you and I. I really am in a position now where I'm starting to recruit for a utility player. I want the Luis Soho of of the late '90s Yankees, the guy who can play first base, get behind the get behind a home plate. Well, you can put him into left field if necessary. Somebody who can do everything. Um, and, every I, and, ever. I, and I think that, like it, it's a it's a
1: psychological help. But and look, pick your poison. I like the idea, for example, that we have generally people that can focus and do a thing like recruiting. If it's important enough to you and you have enough opportunity, somebody who does nothing but that. And there, there are issues because every time, this is the downside. I love it. Like, yes, you should have somebody and you need a person who can pivot anywhere. But I'll, I'll conclude with the my word of warning, which is people do what they like to do. And that if you have something that really let's say videographer was something you added to that potpourri person right and that wasn't their top priority everything else will come first and it won't happen and that's why you're saying hey i should get a video guy because i really want this done and i'm sick and tired of not getting the content created because yes we have the setup in the closet with the green screen and the thing but it's not coming out because there's nobody where it's their primary responsibility i wish there was a better way but I know that, like for reviews, until I took a person and made it a primary responsibility, it was much harder than when I said, "Hey, this is part of intake." And then, just as you said, intake starts taking off, reviews are are, are gone.
0: So I had my intake people doing it. I said, "Nope, I'm hiring a review wrangler." We're one week in; she's gotten twenty reviews in a week in ten days. So you
1: know, just word of warning to everybody. Because I've been through this and I've had several over the years, there is a bump when somebody first starts because there's pent up demand. Yeah. Once that's in, the, the question is, what happens once you don't have the I'm a fuck up and I haven't done them in a long time? And now that we don't have that backlog, but you're doing them in the regular course of business. That's where the rubber meets the road, yes. where
0: your attorneys really have to be part of that solution. Hold, so we got an intake show or we do a review show. Got it. all stuff coming up for you, folks. So thank you for being with us this week here on Maximum Growth Live. As always, you can find us anywhere. Podcasts are available. We're syndicated on the Maximum Lawyer Podcast, or we have our standalone podcast. Of course, every week, every Thursday here live, 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 p.m. Pacific on Maximum Growth Live. But for now, I am Jay Ruane. He is Seth Price. We are Max Growth Live, and we'll see you next week, folks. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to Maximum Growth Live.